The thing is, you really must find a good doctor to look at her before it gets too late. This lot we have around the house at present are completely useless. Each one of them just listens to what you have to say, and then gives it back to you with a few learned words thrown in. And they're so terribly conscientious about it. We have three or four of them coming by turns every day, and sometimes they'll take a pulse four or five times in the same day. Then they'll have long discussions while they decide on a prescription. None of the medicine does her any good, and the only consequence of all this is that she's having to change her clothes four or five times in a day, and be constantly getting up and sitting down to see these doctors, which is no good at all for a person in her condition. So why does uh, Jia Jing come into the story? It's so it's going to be Jia Jing's birthday in two days. So that being the case, they have to organize a party for him. But, but the problem is that because he has given himself up to a life of Taoism, he is completely unconcerned with this, with birthdays, and in particular, with all of the ceremony associated with birthdays. He's not. He's not going to count the coils uh, of mortality. You know. <laughs> no, he's not going to blow the candles out on the cake. He, Jia Zhen, has been to visit him, and uh, Jia Jing, <clears throat> whose birthday it will be, said to him very clearly, "I don't want any presents. I don't want any kind of ceremony. If you have a party, I'm not going to come. If you come here, I will not see you." Uh, like it's, he's very, very frank about it. You get the sense that he's not being necessarily. Uh, deliberately unfriendly about it. He's just being extremely <laughs> matter-of-fact. I mean, he's an immortal. Even having a birthday is an embarrassment, you know? So he's he's really leading into the part. Quite, quite. But, you know, nonetheless, they are undeterred. And so they go around, you know, they, they set about preparing a, uh, a grand birthday party, which will happen in the next chapter. And so this is basically now, that's only a, a passing uh, mention the rest of the chapter is basically dedicated to they find a doctor to finally hopefully give Chinsher a proper diagnosis and maybe a, a prescription for pills or, or some kind of elixir. Yeah, whatever is ailing her. Yeah. And so this doctor is recommended by a friend of cousin Jun, Jia Jun's, called Feng Ying. I don't think we know much about this character, Feng Ying, do we? Other than him being a... Yeah, almost nothing. He's, he's some friend of Jia Zhen's. And so he's recommended this man, Zhang Youshi, who we learn is a man of very wide learning, including, apparently, an excellent knowledge of medicine and the ability to tell with certainty whether a disease is curable or not. Uh, and so he just happens to be in town because he's helping his, his son to purchase the house. Uh, and he's staying with Feng Ying, so it's it's a, a little stroke of luck. It's it's 
Although I don't think I don't think the author uses the term. This is also kind of Kerchow in its way, right? It's it's serendipitous of us. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, they send a servant over to to ask him to come around, and and the next day he does. And one of the things which really struck me about you know them first meeting this doctor, Doctor Zhang, is how unbelievably self-deprecating he is. I mean, this comes across in 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 the English, but it's also very very kind of clear in the Chinese. You know. So there is there is a um, a section that I that I kind of zoomed in on where where they say you know please kind of diagnose her tell us what's wrong with with Qin Shi. The first things he says in Chinese are "wan sheng su bi xia shi, zhi shi qian lou." So "wan sheng" is a a very self-deprecating way of referring to oneself. "Su bi" is uh, is like coarse or vulgar, uh, and "xia shi" mm. is like. Again, a, a self-deprecating way of referring to oneself. Jushu uh, is knowledge, and Chielo is like meager, you know, thin. And so his the first words that come out of his mouth are like, "I am a, I am just a coarse and vulgar, you know, nobody. My knowledge is really very limited. You know, I I know nothing at all." And on the one hand, this is very familiar because in you know in the UK, for example, being excessively self-deprecating is quite common uh, in a, in a way that is maybe not so true in other countries. But at the same time, it's very very jarring because you don't really want to go to a doctor who says, "Oh, I don't know anything. I'm useless. You shouldn't entrust any <laughs> any diagnosis or treatment to me. I uh, you know I don't even have a medical degree or or, or, or you know mm. or whatever." Um, which is which is kind of what he's kind of what he's saying here. Mm. There is a, a shift, though, after he, I guess, releases these these extremely uh, modest semi formalities. Let's say he does do, he does do something remarkable that distinguishes him from other doctors. Namely, he he doesn't allow them to describe the ailment uh, first. Instead, he very much tries to describe the ailment to them. He wants to. And this is very impressive because he's able to predict uh, certain elements of Chinchur's condition without it being stated up front. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of party trick almost. You know? In a way, yeah. But it, it also, it does, you could see how this would be more convincing, even if it is a matter of guesswork and reading the situation. Maybe in a, in a way similar to how a, a mind reader might, you know, use certain devices to give the impression of having more knowledge and really is possessed yeah inferring inferring things from 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 context i suppose it, it's very strange to me though as a diagnostic technique because yeah. you know to the limited extent that i understand it modern medicine is very much about uh if you're able to speaking to your patient and asking them about their symptoms and the way that they're feeling and things and not just trying to do it all on your own observations i, I mean in this case he does seem to be spot you know spot on but you would have thought that the reason why four or five other doctors have seen her and not been able to diagnose correctly is maybe because they're taking exactly the sort of approach, which is to, you know, assume they know all the answers and not and not hear any anything which would countermand that. It definitely could cut both ways. Uh, then again, just as a modern doctor would do, he takes the pulse. I guess the difference is what he, the explanation he uh, derives from that, the pulse that he gets. And so we've been talking about being uh, wuxing pilled, and this doctor uh, exceeds my own wuxing capacity uh, in so many ways. And so I was definitely awed and inspired by. He's wholly devoted himself. He's gone all the way down the rabbit hole. How about we read his explanation, and then I'll try to give my um, 
explanation for that explanation based on a little bit of um, a little more Ushing research I've done in the past week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so so he takes the pulse just to, just just before we we get onto the symptoms. He takes the pulse, and the way that I imagine it, although it's not described exactly, is he seems almost to be grabbing both of her wrists at once and taking the pulse in in two different places. And he's also doing this thing of like controlling or modulating his own heartbeat and breathing, so that by using his heartbeat, he can measure hers. You know, presumably because they wouldn't have access to a stopwatch or clock or anything else you could use for measuring it so you have to have some other kind of something which you can use as a kind of objective standard against which to measure but he takes a pulse and he says the lower left distal pulse is rapid and the lower left median pulse is strong and full on the right side mm. the distal pulse is thin and lacks strength and the median pulse is faint and lacks vitality now a rapid mm. lower left hand distal pulse means that a malfunction of the controlling humor of the heart is causing it to generate too much fire. And the strong lower median pulse means that the liver's humor is blocked, giving rise to a deficiency of blood. A thin, weak distal pulse on the right side indicates a gross deficiency of humor in the lungs. And a faint right median pulse lacking in vitality shows that the earth of the spleen is being subdued by the woody element of the liver. And so we've talked previously about the five elements wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. But if you really want to go deeper into the Wuxing system, there's really a whole assortment of five, it's basically just different groupings of five things that have all been sort of correlated in, in a, this one, I guess, sweeping system of uh, interaction and generation and creation and, and destruction. And so, so some of the uh, the basic, and so he mentions the the earth of the spleen is being subdued by the woody element of the liver. And so the earth and the spleen, so the spleen is one of the five organs, as is the liver. The spleen is associated with uh, earth, too, and the, uh, the liver is associated with wood, mu. Another of the five organs uh, is the heart, which is associated with fire. What he seems to be saying is that he says, from my reading of her pulse, I should expect your mistress to be a, a very highly strong, sensitive young woman. Sometimes when people are oversensitive, they find a good deal that is upsetting in what goes on around them. And of course, if things are upsetting them, they will tend to worry a lot. This illness has been caused by too much worrying affecting the spleen, which we, which is P, which I said before yep. is associated with earth, and causing it an excess of wood in the liver, with the result that the menstrual blood has been prevented from flowing at the proper times. And so I'm not entirely sure what the logic is there. I do know that wood and earth, uh, if you when you construct like the circle, they're surrounding fire, you know, fire slash heart, right? And so maybe the menstrual blood is associated with the heart and blood. But you can see how that imbalance would, because these, these elements are supposed to be creating each other in this, in this constant movement. And so if one link of the chain is imbalanced, either, you know, positive or negative, it's going to maybe affect the heart. Everything is going to be out of, yeah, out of out of order out of sync somehow 
And so you can see how uh, how hand wavy this is. And you can also see how if you were uh, a moderately intelligent person at this time and you were looking for uh, employment of some kind, I mean, this does seem like a fairly lucrative occupation. You can basically say whatever you want. There's no, it's not really scientific. Well, the thing is, it's, there is a system. There, like it's, it's one that's maybe completely opaque to, to you and me. But there's certainly, well, I guess we just don't recognize it in a in a in a scientific way. I, yeah, I, I I don't know what to make of it. You know, I mean, because there are people who derive a lot of help or comfort from it, and you know, use is still very widespread. But to me, it does. It does. I do kind of think, oh, come on. I mean, yeah, I don't want to completely dismiss it. Yeah, in a way, he does seem to have arrived upon a plausible explanation, which is. He's given the explanation in his own vocabulary, but you can see how it is. Um, mm -hmm. He's speaking to her being very, very sensitive, very emotional. And, and so it is, in a way, a psychological explanation for a physical ailment. I, I would say that the author is not trying to portray this doctor as a, a quack. He doesn't have the same aura that the, um, the Taoist and Buddhist monks and priests have his words aren't as clearly prophetic he's not being portrayed as a dilettante or, or a, a fraud I, I don't think perhaps this is based on something that the author observed you know somebody else that he knew suffered from or maybe it is kind of constructed entirely you know it's cut out of whole cloth nothing kind of jumps out you know there, there are lots of different things where the symptoms can be dizziness tiredness and sweating um, so it's difficult to know, you know, what this is all along. And I don't want to completely uh, render this form of knowledge as illegitimate or um, surpassed by modern medicine. Actually, what's interesting, what I was reflecting upon when I was re reading this, is that in a way, even nowadays, we have notions of dehydration uh, and its medical um, significance. And so... Dehydration is, in a sense, a deficit of one of these five elements. It's a deficit of water. And so even though it's the system... And, and again, certain foods may, might cause um, indigestion, which might be associated with fiery feelings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can think of, you know, fire is, is evoked in describing lots of different medical symptoms, as you All said, right. from, from things like heartburn to you know stuff obviously like fever you talk about somebody burning up when they're very feverish we don't i guess in the you know in in the english speaking world right. think of things being earthy or woody that i found was much much less familiar and kind of kind of interesting to me to think of the the wood of the liver overcoming the earth of the spleen having described the symptoms very perfectly and a nearby uh, maidservant overhears them and is very impressed by this uh, ability right. of his to uh, describe her symptoms so succinctly mm. despite not having had them you know described to him already he says that it is quite serious and part of the reason why it's so serious is because she hasn't received adequate treatment before now you know the other doctors have just been you know messing around uh, uh, and he prescribes this medicine for her uh, you know in a kind of traditional chinese medicine style uh, so it's not quite as kind of absurd as the medicine that's given to xue bao chai which we heard about a couple of chapters previously 
you remember the cold fragrance pills where you have to get 12 of this and 12 of that spring and autumn and summer and winter and then you need water that falls on this day and then you dry it and then you bury it under a lotus tree or, or something <laughs> of course yeah nonetheless there are, yeah there are a lot of of ingredients in here i think it'd be good just to read them out so dr Zhang wrote out the following prescription and handed it to jarong for a decoction to increase the breath nourish the heart fortify the spleen and calm the liver ginseng two drams attractylus clay baked two drams lycopridon three drams nipplewort processed four drams angelica two drams white peony root two drams hemlock parsley one and a half drams yellow vetch root three drams round root of nutgrass two drams hare's ear in vinegar three quarters of a dram huaiqing yam two drams Donga asses glue, preparation with powdered oyster shell, two drams. Corridalis, cooked in wine, one and a half drams. Roast licorice, three quarters of a dram. Adjuvant, excoriate and remove pits from seven lotus seeds, two large jujubes. And I think that that's it, basically. Uh, jujubes, jujubes, I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, jujube, that's say. Jujube, okay, cool. Um, but it's this, yeah, quite like bafflingly long list of rather niche ingredients you know like looking at that list i really only recognize a few of them i feel like kind of everyone knows ginseng because it was i think it's widely known enough in the west the one that i thought was quite interesting is the the dong er acids glue so, so there's something in the in donkey's skin which is very gelatinous and so you kind of soak and i think stew the skin to get the gelatin out in a similar way that you would from 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 say cow's hooves or sheep's hooves if you if you go on wikipedia and search for donkey hide gelatin. Oh, cool. You, you'll find a really great picture of this blackish block of gelatin. Well, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating because it's such an unusual product. It's so bizarre that people would, people could have invented it in the first place and then ascribed this, uh, you know, medical significance to it, I suppose. You really wonder what the underlying logic, I, I mean, Sometimes there's a kind of sympathetic logic where if you, you know, for instance, if your eyesight is failing, you eat the eyes of various animals. And, and so you consume the power of the related organ. There's also, you know, sexual equivalence of this. Here, it's, I guess, it's not clear if there's an underlying story or not, or whether there was a trial and error process I guess, yeah, for, for, for a preparation like this, for a prescription like this, what's interesting to me is it's 14, 15 different ingredients. And I wonder how you would have come to combine all of them, come to know to combine all of those to produce a particular, a particular result. A lot of this, you know, the history of Chinese medicine is definitely the kind of stuff that I tend to gloss over because I, I favor you know, the interesting, the psychological and dreams and uh, human relations and emotions. Uh, that being said, yeah, th this is an, an, an interesting an, an interesting question. So having given them the, uh, the prescription, we then get a, a sense of how likely it is that Qin Shi will recover. So the doctor initially says he thinks it's, one in, it's a one in three chance. But if after taking the medicine, she starts to feel better, then maybe she has a 50-50 chance of recovering. So even then, the odds are not that good. But, well, we both know not to have too high hopes and that it all may end rather badly for, for Qin Shi. I've been debating in my head whether we're, we are a 
no spoilers podcast. <laughs> I think different audience, different audiences are coming at this from so many different uh, angles. It's kind of hard to say whether spoilers are an issue or not. Um, definitely, we probably should have added a disclaimer uh, for chapter five, right? Where we interpret the dreams in, so, in such great detail. I think the damage has already been done. I suspect. I I, I think the policy I, is generally no spoilers, but we will allow spoilers where it, uh, you know it permits interesting discussion. You know, as f- in terms of Chinga Chang, you could say spoilers can't happen because uh, her fate is uh, so indeterminate. We will really never know exactly what happened. Okay, so we we basically come to the end of the chapter. We're gonna have to wait for. For the next chapter to see what really happens, whether the medicine works or not. Yeah, it's a very short chapter, this one. In the Hawks, it's 11, 12 pages, something like that. You mentioned before this theory of every chapter being a dream. Does this one work as a dream? Right. What do you think? Is this not a dream? I suppose there's something slightly dreamlike about the the mysterious doctor emerging, you know, just... um... He is the most uh, enchanted figure i guess yeah he he, exactly he's a character from a dream in some ways isn't he i really got some the vibes i'm getting from jajen are somewhat uncanny definitely getting some bad vibes in what sort of way maybe the i mean everything we've heard has been kind of negative and his attitude seems a little bit too nonchalant he only appears for a moment as you say he he kind of passes through the scene yet at the same time if the you know if the incest theory is correct, he is the cause of the scene. So he's kind of like a like a god figure that emerges only for a brief cameo, but then yeah, he glides through, recedes again into the shadow. Uh, we've always looked at the Ning House from afar, right? And the, that distance creates a kind of suspicion, uh, a kind of desire, you know, like what academics annoyingly refer to as like the gays, you know, G G A Z E. And, but we get a little bit of that here where uh, we are, you know, we're guests just like Auntie Huang. Um, And we're observing, uh, you know, this elite household from a distance. So maybe that is kind of part of its, uh, its, its dream quality. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts? I am looking forward to the um, the grandfather Jia Jing's birthday in the in the next chapter. Yeah, he's been like kind of a funny character so far. I'm I'm curious to see whether that perception will be uh, sustained. He occupies, in theory, a similar position to that held by Granny Grandmother Jia in the Rong Branch, right? So she is the she's the matriarch of that household and he jia jing is yes. the is the patriarch of his yeah. but i mean he as we've seen is like utterly withdrawn from the material world and, and all kind of sense of duty or responsibility and so they're very different households i think from kind of the top from the top down and i think it's important that probably uh, contributes to a different uh a completely different dynamic yeah that's interesting um okay Let's, let's end it there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Rereading the Stone. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, we're on Twitter at Rereading Stone. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rereading the Stone. 
We also have a Reddit page, uh, reddit.com dash r dash rereading the snow. Uh, thanks for listening, and we hope to uh, we hope you listen again. Have a good one. Bye bye. Bye.